Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions. You have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Watch out, Bears fans. Justin Fields feels more comfortable in here, too. Luke Getzi's offense. Sports Talk Chicago. Here with John Zaglow. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears content. We do it daily. We also have a network featuring Clay Harbor, Corey Wooten, and Joey Christopoulos. Follow us all over the place at Sports Talk Chicago and find us on every podcast platform at Sports Talk Chicago as well. Support our sponsor, Amish Country Farms, for the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland. So Justin Fields is feeling more comfortable Luke Getzi's offense, and after you hear these quotes, you will not be surprised as to why. Justin Fields said on Tuesday that he feels more comfortable in Luke Getzi's system, just with my reads and stuff like that, just seeing what the defense is doing and stuff like that. He also went on to say it's truly amazing when you have that feeling going in, knowing where your guys are going to be, being more comfortable with the footwork stuff. It's been great. I've got to work on stuff in the offseason, but having that second-year experience with the same offense is great. Not surprised by this quote from Justin Fields. We've actually talked about this a number of times on this program, and you shouldn't be either. Continuity is so important for a quarterback in any walk of life, in any stage of life, but especially in the National Frickin' Football League. Need to have a consistent offense, weapons, consistent coaching. In order to succeed over time, it's not going to be that easy. It's not just going to happen. And for Justin Fields, clearly there were struggles last year. Now, there was success. I mean, he almost broke the record for single-season rushing yards. He was a great running quarterback, but not much else. Passed the ball a little bit, didn't get too many opportunities, didn't have many weapons, lots of drops, Bears were tanking. So many problems that just compounded on one another and hurt him as the season moved forward. But this year, the Bears aren't tanking. They aren't trying to lose. They aren't trying to be bad. This is in a completely different situation. And Justin Fields has the opportunity to really flex his passing muscle in 2023. Seeing this quote is not only encouraging, but it's expected. And I'd be stunned if this quote wasn't given by Fields. You should be more enthused and more comfortable in a system in which now you're two years in. Have to remember, too, Luke Getze had some learning himself to do last year. First six or seven games of last season, if you recall, Justin Fields sucked. This offense sucked. Everything about this team was horrible. They only got better, even though they still lost games. They got better as the year moved forward. As Luke Getze kind of felt out what Justin Fields was good at and what he needed help with and what the offensive approach should be for every game throughout the rest of the season. Luke Gensi himself had growing pains. He's not some genius either. He had issues that he overcame. Justin Fields did too. That give and take is what makes you a good quarterback in football. Your ability to work with your coach, adjust to his offense, have him adjust to you a little bit. 
that's what makes a good quarterback and OC combo. Said it multiple times on this program, Matt Nagy, horrible play caller, horrible offensive guy. Why? It's not because I have a personal vendetta. It's because he did not cater to his quarterbacks, whether it be Mitch Trubinsky, Nick Foles, I mean, Justin Fields. Every quarterback that's playing the Matt Nagy system has not worked out. Wonder why? Is it a quarterback problem or a Matt Nagy problem? Really that simple. The give and take relationship with an offensive coordinator and a quarterback makes a huge difference when it comes to on the field performance and product. Luke Getze showed us last year that he's willing to make adjustments and willing to admit when he's made a mistake, and that's big for somebody in that sort of role. And it's a complete 180 from how it was before under Matt Nagy. And now Justin Fields is admitting here that, yes, I had things to work on. Yes, it was not easy in year one, but year two is going to be better. I'm already more comfortable, and I'm ready to go. Continuity is important for a young quarterback, too, especially. I want to make that point clear. I mean, look at Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield now in Tampa. There was a viral video, actually, that went out showing the quarterback competition in Tampa now between Baker and Kyle Trask. Hint, they both suck. But the purpose of that video and the purpose of why I even bring up Baker Mayfield is because he's never had stability at the head coaching position or at the offensive coordinator position. Came out of college, went to the Browns. Browns went through two head coaches in his three years there, three different OCs in his three years there. Now a new OC in Tampa, new head coach, not to mention the fact that he was traded midseason last year. He's been through the gamut. So I don't really blame him to an extent if he doesn't perform or people want to make fun of him. It's not necessarily his fault fully. This guy's been in the league now, what, five, six years? And he's gone through literally six offensive schemes, different offensive coordinators, not to mention his transition from college to the pros. Not easy. That's difficult to do. Same with Jay Cutler. Love him or hate him. He went through so many different changes. Coaches, offensive coordinators, general managers, executives. I don't care who you are, you are not going to win with that sort of discontinuity. Constant change. Moving back and forth. Last time I checked, it was Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. They won. Right? All the time. Continuity together for 17, 18 years, and they just kept winning. Without each other, they've had issues, although Tom's at least won something without Bill. But regardless, the combo worked. The continuity helped. The expectations were clear from day one, and they never changed. New coach comes in. They want to gut everything, give you a new offense, and bring in their people. That's just how it works. That's a light thing, too. No matter where you work, if a new boss comes in, you're automatically in the hot seat if you're an incumbent employee. You may not be what they want. And you may be fired for it. Same thing in football. Same thing in baseball, basketball, whatever sport you watch. So for Justin Fields, I relate and I sympathize to an extent with what he's been going through. It doesn't totally excuse a dumb throw, a dumb decision on his part, but it does excuse to an extent why things were off base, why there was momentum moving back and forth, why Nobody was in sync last season till the very end. It's going to take time for a quarterback to learn. 
Andy Mueller, former NFL GMs, come on this show multiple times and said it takes a quarterback three to four years to master an offense. Well, this is Field's second year under Luke Getz. He's going to be better, but I guarantee you there still may be miscommunications, mistakes made, and problems that need to be solved throughout the year. It's about adjustments. It's not going to be perfect in year two. But what I like about this quote is that it will be better and Justin Fields believes in it. Goes on to say in this article that Fields is receiving plenty of support from his coaches along the way. Fields said, quote, it's awesome for me getting that trust from the coaching staff. Reporters don't see it, but we communicate here all the time. We trust each other fully. Just having them behind me, they know the kind of leader I am to my teammates. They know how great I want to be, the work I put in. It's just great to have them behind my back for sure. Of course it is. Because I've been guilty of a two call for Justin Fields' head. He doesn't want to hear that. And certainly from the coaching staff, he doesn't need to hear that. They did that to Mitch Trubisky. Coaches did. So it's nice to be in a relationship in an environment where everybody does believe in you outwardly and hopefully inwardly too. Justin Fields mentally needs to know that he's welcomed and needs to know that, hey, there were confounding factors last year. This year's going to be different and better. That's why I said, even for this season, this is the true judgment of Fields. And I know every year we keep moving the goalposts. And you said, oh, John, last year's the true judgment. Every year the goalposts get moved in order to see his development as a player. Last year he proved, okay, he's a competent NFL quarterback. He's not a complete bust. He knows how to pass a little bit, knows how to run. He can make plays with his feet. He could keep his team in the game. Maybe he can't win games down the stretch yet, but he could keep them in games. This year, hey, can he be an elite NFL QB? Is he going to be more so average? That's what we're going to find out this season. And you know what? Being in an offense in which it's your second year, and you're claiming today you're more comfortable in it, and it's May, that will bode well for his future and what he will bring to the table as far as performance goes. I know it's just words. and You may not want to believe them, but... I really buy this one in the sense that it just makes sense. It just sounds right. Of course, it's going to be easier for him. Of course, he's going to be more comfortable. For all he knew, last year, Luke Getz was coming for his head and wanted his quarterback. Same with Ryan Pauls and Matt Eberflus. Who knows what was going through their head day one when they walked in the building? Per Justin, right? Fields is not sitting around thinking, okay, they love me. No, he knows, and he knew at that time he had to prove himself. He had to be better, had to show them that he deserved to be the starting franchise QB for this team. I think he did that very well last year, considering the circumstances. Now, year two, not as much pressure of, hey, I need to make it. Now the pressure is, hey, let's win some ball games. And now I have an OC who supports me. I have an OC who understands the way I play football who's willing to cater to me and not be a Matt Nagy, and who's willing to let me be me on the field. That comfortability aspect will lead to a better performance for Justin Fields in 2023. No doubt about that. He's going to be a better QB than last year. Don't know how much better. I'm hoping at least 3,500 passing yards and maybe 20 touchdowns minimum. He's going to be better. There's so much to break down with this quote. It's not just, okay, I'm going to gloss through this and move forward. No, there's so much that goes into it. There's so much behind the scenes that we don't even know about fully that maybe we're making assumptions on, but it really makes sense. That's what's important about this here. He feels more comfortable. 
It feels more comfortable with his reads, seeing what the defense is doing, comfortable with footwork stuff, working on stuff in the offseason. Second-hand and second-year experience with the same offense is great, says Fields. It is great. I'm expecting a bigger year. Not expecting superstardom, NFL MVP votes. Not yet, although if it happens, good for him. But I am expecting a better season. You should be too. This is cause for joy. It's cause for celebration. This is positive news out of Bears camp right now. And it only makes sense. Look at the quarterbacks, even recently, who have not panned out according to our expectations. Again, I bring up Baker Mayfield. I bring up Jake Cutler as well. They have their issues, don't get me wrong. Both do. But I'm not going to blame them for never having stability. And when I say never, I really mean never. Look at their careers. I'm not going to blame them for never having stability at the head coaching spot or the offensive coordinator spot. Every single year of their careers, there's been a new offensive scheme and a new guy, a new hack job who's come in and said, I can fix this QB, and they can't. None of them can Maybe it's not fully their fault, but it certainly mentally hurts these guys when every single year there's a new offense they have to learn in a condensed period of time. The old rule is three to four years. That's how long it takes you to learn an offense. Changing schemes and thoughts and patterns every year will not necessarily make you better or make things click. They almost never will, frankly. So for Fields, in his case, hearing this quote and just him getting the opportunity to have continuity will make him a better quarterback in 2023. I say that now in May, and I know it's going to come true. Well, you know what they say, if you keep losing, join the Lions. Sports Talk Chicago here with John Zaglou. Appreciate you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears and Chicago sports content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. And also make sure you support our sponsor, Amish Country Farms, for the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland. Hit them up today in Orland Park. What do you do when you keep losing? Apparently you join one of the most mediocre teams in NFL history. Right? That's what David Montgomery said. I'm just repeating what he said. I mean, I, I don't know anything, I guess. I'm just verbatim repeating what he said during an NBA 2K stream last week. Montgomery said, quote, the Bears losing last year, quote, sucked the fun out of football. Ouch. Montgomery was playing an NBA 2K stream with his new teammate, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. And Gardner-Johnson broached the subject of the losing era Montgomery played in. Quote, that's all I was used to, Montgomery said, and his Bears, on the Bears losing, quote, and it got to a point where it sucked the fun out of the game for me because I'm a competitor. I like to compete. That's what football is all about. It's so refreshing to be in a place where that's appreciated. Yeah, the Lions, although they're favored to be something great, that doesn't mean they've done it yet. And being in a place where you're appreciated makes no sense to me because Montgomery, to his credit, has always been appreciated in Chicago. I mean, everybody's appreciated him. Not just fans either, coaches, personnel, he's gotten opportunities. He's the one who took over for Jordan Howard. He put Jordan Howard out of a job. Too bad if you had to deal with losing, David. Do you think it's going to be the same or it's going to be better in Detroit? You don't know anything about what's going to happen over there. And the funny part is they drafted somebody already to replace you. You've been replaced without playing one snap in Detroit. 
And that's a fact. Because you're going to tell me that he's going to get more carries than this first-round pick, highly touted, top-20 running back pick out of Alabama. You're crazy. He's not going to play more than this new pick that they drafted in the first round, Detroit. Come out firing today because... I've been sitting on this quote for a while. We've been sitting on this video for a while. And to me, it just makes no sense as to where he's coming from. I would understand if he went from the Bears to the Patriots, uh, Chargers, Rams. I mean, a good team, Vikings, Packers, somebody with a winning pedigree. He went to Detroit. And no disrespect to Detroit. They are the favorite today to win the division. But when's the last time Detroit's been special? They've never won the division ever. Still, to this day, I don't care what the projections are for next year, but the betting odds state, the fact is, today as we make this video, Detroit has never won any division title. Not one. So you can't say, oh, the losing sucked the life out of me and it made me hate football, blah, 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 because at the end of the day, you joined a team that has no pedigree whatsoever and you don't even know what's going to happen next season. You don't. You think you do, but it's not true yet. And again, they drafted somebody to replace you. (laughs) They drafted somebody to come in and take your job. How do you feel about that, David? Is that a competitor winning mentality? No, it isn't. They're undermining you. They're undercutting you, and you haven't played one snap with them. They already think you're washed. They do, or else they wouldn't have drafted a running back like that. You're going to get minimal carries. You're barely going to play, if you're lucky. And you will not be a main big-time contributor to this team. You're just not. It's not going to happen. The writing's already on the wall, and you just signed the contract. It's like when Andy Dalton came to Chicago, then they drafted Justin Fields. The writing's on the wall already. They don't give me, oh my goodness, the losing sucked the crap out of me. Get over it. You're lucky you played for an NFL team and was the feature back for years. And really, you still could have been the feature back, quote-unquote, if you stayed to an extent. I think Rojo eventually would have overtaken Montgomery. But if Montgomery had stayed, he'd be the number one guy next year, no doubt. No doubt he'd be the number one guy. Better pass blocker, better pass catcher than Herbert. Would have been fully healthy. He would have gotten the majority of the carries in Chicago, and he stayed with this team. Does that make any sense? The losing sucked the fun out of the game, so I'm going to go run to the Detroit Lions to help me. (laughs) I'm going to run to Detroit. There my winning issues will be solved. They're going to win, and I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to be a big piece of it. No, you're not. This quote was just confusing. Maybe, you know, everybody says stupid stuff, especially you're streaming, you're playing a video game. Maybe he wasn't paying attention or I I don't know what it is. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it's really hard to do so when you read this quote verbatim. That's all I was used to. And it got to a point where it sucked the fun out of the game for me because I'm a competitor. I like to compete. That's what gets me. The entire quote, that gets me. I'm a competitor. I like to compete. Well, right now you're going to be competing to be the second string running back on a Lions team that has never won a division in history. That's what you're going to be competing for, David. You really are a competitor if that's what you're going for. 
You would have been the starter here, but instead you decide, I'm going to be a good backup in Detroit for a team that's never won a division. And although they're favored to do so, how many times in history have they let their fans down and been mediocre? Is it going to change this year? Maybe, but we don't know. But I'm going to take that risk because I'm a competitor, and I'm going to show everybody that I'm right, I guess. I mean, it's it just the, the, the thought process makes no sense. I'd like to compete. I'm a competitor. That's what football is all about. It's so refreshing to be in a place where that's appreciated. It is appreciated. Dan Campbell's a lunatic, so of course it's appreciated. It's appreciated that he's a competitor. Dan Campbell loves him. We reported on that the minute he signed there that Dan Campbell has always been in awe of David Montgomery back during his college days even. That's fine. That's great. But... To say that you're a competitor, yet you're going to the Lions, is an oxymoron. <laughs> I'd love to know, and you know, we're doing this show now, but I'd love to know if anybody in history said, I want to sign with Detroit because I'm a competitor. There is no player in the history of football that has ever said that. And Lions fans are going to come after me, and I don't care because it's you and I both know it's true. Come on. What player has said... From their heart, hey, you know what? I'm a huge competitor. I like to win. I'm going to sign with Detroit and come to the Detroit Lions to play. Let's be real here, okay? So something's clearly up. And Montgomery maybe said this to piss people off, to troll Bears fans. And you know what? He has every right to. I'm sure he's not happy with the way things ended here in Chicago. And I don't blame him one bit. I said from the jump he should have stayed. I said from the jump that the Bears should have found a way to keep him. They didn't. That's a mistake on their end. That's a Ryan Poles mistake. Rare one, but it's true. So I get if he has bad feelings towards Chicago, towards the fan base, and towards the organization. That's fine. But don't hide that in some dumb quote like this because it's just dumb and I'm going to bash you for it. That's the problem. I'm okay with him coming out and being honest, hey, you know, I, I, I really wish that things ended better in Chicago. I don't like how it ended. I would have actually given him the benefit of the doubt and done a positive video on Tampa Montgomery about that because he's so right if that were the case. But now instead he says, oh, the losing. Oh, my goodness, it was horrible. And yet you're going to Detroit. Oh, I couldn't take the losing. But you're going to a team... That barely went over 500 last year, and that is no guarantee of winning. There is no guarantee. None. You go to the Vikings, there's a somewhat of a guarantee that they're going to be 10-7. and seven. Maybe, right? You go to the Bills, there's a guarantee that you're going to win 11-12 games there. There's a guarantee of winning. This quote would make sense if you went to a team that guaranteed winning. The Lions cannot guarantee anything. They never have, and they never will. They've never guaranteed their fans anything. I don't care what the betters say in Vegas today. There is no guarantee the Lions are winning this division. No guarantee because they do let their fans down. They do let their team down. They've done it every year in their existence. So I just don't get this quote from Montgomery. If he's trying to cover, which is what I really think he's doing, just be honest and say, hey, I'm pretty pissed off about what happened in Chicago and how it was kind of booted out of town. Don't say, the losing sucked. I'm better off without them. I'm going to go to Detroit. They appreciate me because I'm a competitor. Well, Detroit is not a competitor, so therefore, that doesn't make you a competitor. And FYI, David, you're going to be out of a job in a year.
And that's not a personal attack. It's not a threat. It's the truth. They've already drafted your replacement. He's on the roster today. He's going to be taking reps with you during training camp, OTAs, minicamp, everything. He's taking reps as we speak with you. He will be starting game one, not you. But you want to be a competitor, right? I guess you'll be competing to get 100 carries this year, if that. So enjoy being a competitor with a team that has no guarantee and no promise of winning. You're welcome. Breaking news, the Cubs have one of the worst records in the National League. Did we see it coming? Sports Talk Chicago. Here with John's Glow. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Hang out with us and subscribe to the channel at Sports Talk Chicago. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms in Orland Park. The Cubs have one of the worst records in the National League, and we don't know if things are going to get better. Did I say I'm surprised? A little bit. But whose fault is it, and who's contributing to these problems in Chicago? You look at their numbers, and there are a lot of guys overperforming. A lot of guys playing well. Marcus Stroman has been a revelation this year and has actually lived up to his contract. Justin Steele is an NL Cy Young Award candidate. The Cubs' top three rotation pieces have done great. Stroman, Steele, and Smiley, all of the are at 3.5. Christopher Morrell's been called up and has nine homers in 17 games. So what's the problem? What's going wrong? Well, there are a couple of things. Some of them you may like to hear, some of them you may not. Right now, the Cubs have players who are highly touted, either signed for a lot of money or have been promoted probably too soon, who have simply not performed. And this is going to be unpopular, but I don't care. I was a huge fan of Matt Mervis, and I called for his call-up in April. And I said, why have you kept Eric Hosmer to be the starting first baseman? He has done nothing, and he's now been released by the Cubs. Great move. But unfortunately, his young replacement, his hotshot replacement, who had 36 home runs last year in AAA, has actually been worse, and there's no explanation as to why. And it's scary. Now, granted, Matt Mervis is only 18 games into his professional baseball career, or Major League Baseball career, but he's hitting a buck 94. His OPS Plus is a 59. He struck out 23 times and only walked seven times. Clearly, we have a problem. Moreover, and listen to this stat. This is for Jamison Tyone from ESPN. And this is not a joke. This is not a parody when I read this stat to you. The Cubs have lost the first eight games that Jamison Tyone has started this season. It's tied for the third most consecutive losses when a pitcher starts to begin a season in Cubs history. History. Jamison Tyone, Cubs' big signing this offseason, paying him a decent amount of money to be a number three, number four starter, is making history for all the wrong reasons. And so far in the season, he's an 80 RA and eight starts. Yeah, that's going to lose you some games. Coupled with the fact that David Ross has made dumb decision after dumb decision in the dugout and continues to show everybody why he should have never managed this team in the first place. He was hired because everybody would be happy. He was hired to give the illusion that the 2016 team was still alive and well when they really weren't. In fact, he's really the only piece left of that 2016 team on this team besides Kyle Hendricks, who sucks still. They hired David Ross to be a fan favorite, and David Ross is a fan favorite. And, you know, I'd really love to see David Ross in the booth. Maybe he should be the next Cubs color analyst. I'd be perfectly okay with that. 
but he's not a manager. He's not a manager. And for years and years, I've seen Cubs fans parade Ross, Grandpa Rossi, and all these things. And this is the problem with Cubs evaluators at times, even people who claim they're non-biased, they are, they love the Cubs. To the point that they die for the Cubs, and they die on hills for the Cubs. Newsflash. The record doesn't justify you dying on any hills for anybody on this team. David Ross, public enemy number one. David Ross should probably be fired. Just saying, unless things unbelievably turn around. And I'm okay with this team not being some big-time contender. A lot of people put unfair and unreasonable expectations on this Cubs team. I knew they were going to be 500 at best, and that's fine. But they should be better, and even their run differential suggests it. The Cubs' run differential is not that bad. I mean, they're doing a decent job. There are worse teams with worse differentials, by far. They still have a 24% chance to even make the postseason as we speak. Their Pythagorean win-loss, according to Ron Differential, is 27-26. and 26. They should be a game above 500 based on Ron Differential. They actually have a positive 5 Ron Differential as of this recording. And yet, they're 23-30 and 30 on the season. 23-30 and 30 when they should be a game above 500 and in the thick of the NL Central race. So when that happens and the run differential's off, more often than not, it actually gets pointed back to the manager because that's when the human element kicks in. Okay, who's making mistakes? Who's screwing up? Because statistically speaking, based on the number of runs they've scored, the number they've given up, they should be good. They should be above average to an extent. So when that's not happening, the one thing left to account for is human error. And David Ross, you're number one on that list. Cubs lineup on Memorial Day was a joke. Saw everybody commenting on Twitter saying, is this a AAA lineup? Why is this lineup on the field right now? Why are the Cubs trotting out these sorry players? I've seen all that stuff on Twitter. They really half-assed it, and they should not have won on Memorial Day. They only did because Marcus Stroman carried this team to a victory. Look at this lineup. Master Booney and... Tauschman, Rios, Mervis, Barnhart. I mean, what the hell's going on here? Why are you playing your AAA guys? Probably learned that from Joe Madden. David Ross is in trouble and deserves to be so. And what doesn't help him is the players the Cubs signed to big contracts are not working out. Jameson Tyone's been a complete and utter bust. Matt Mervis... Everybody excited, big call-up, oh my goodness, he sucks right now. He does. Cody Ballinger is still hurt. And the Cubs can only do so much with what they have available. Nico Horners hit a slide. Patrick Wisdom with 14 home runs is hitting 224. Tucker Barnhart Master Booney and Tauschman all do not deserve to be in the lineup either. Barnhart is a buck sixty-nine batting average. And then every fifth day, the Cubs are essentially guaranteed a loss when Jamison Tyone pitches. Not kidding, literally. Again, the stat 
The Cubs have lost the first eight games that Jamison Tyone has started this season. It's time for the third most consecutive losses when a pitcher starts to begin a season in Cubs history. Oh yeah, they don't have a closer either. It was Brad Boxberger, but he's 35 years old and has never really been able to close a game. Now they're relying on Mark Leiter Jr., but who knows how long that's going to last. Michael Fulmer was a complete joke. They have nobody to close out games down the stretch. And Kyle Hendricks, who's finally come back from the IL, has a 6-2-3 ERA. There are a lot of problems with this team. There are a lot of good parts, too. But the problems are forcing the Cubs to die as we speak. To be at 23 and 30, it is concerning if you're a Cubs fan. And I've heard you loud and clear all over on social. Cubs fans want answers, and you know what? They deserve answers. If you went into this season thinking they were going to be a big playoff team, then that's your fault. But if you're thinking, hey, why are they 23 and 30? Fair question. Very fair question. Considering what they have, the talent they have on this team, and who's performing right now. I'm not saying this is an all-star roster. I'm not saying this is the end-all, be-all. I'm not saying they're better than 2016, but you have some quality players on this team and some who are overperforming and putting in great performance in. Dansby Swanson is still playing well, surprisingly. Ian Happ has done good when healthy. Christopher Morrell, 17 games and nine homers, and it makes you wonder why the hell was he in AAA? Thanks, David Ross and Jed Hoyer. Big mistake there on evaluation and talent. So there are a lot of problems that need to be fixed with this team. Don't know if it's going to happen in time, but what I do know is this. David Ross is on extremely thin ice. Jamison Tyone has not performed up to expectations. Matt Mervis needs to step it up. And this team needs to win more ball games if they want to be considered viable later this year. I wish him all the best. And I give credit to the guys who are performing well. And I've mentioned a lot of them. Mark Leiter Jr., uh, Drew Smiley, Steele, Marcus Stroman, who, by the way, quietly has become an NL Cy Young Award candidate, too, along with Steele. That's great. But everybody else needs to step it up. David Ross, number one. At the end of this year, if this Cubs team finishes 10 under, he could end up getting fired. They should be a 500 team. Nothing more, nothing less. Anything less should be cause for a firing considering the mistakes that have already been made. David Ross is in trouble, and he should be. And Cubs fans, if you don't see it now, you still got 2016 in your rearview mirror. Get over it. This is a whole new team, and I like this team, actually. They're more likable to me than 2016. Not kidding. David Ross better get with the program or else he's going to be out of a job. What will the Bulls do now? Sports Talk Chicago. Here for John's Glue. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago sports content. Hit us up all over social media at Sports Talk Chicago and podcast at Sports Talk Chicago. Hit up our sponsor as well, Amish Country Farms in Orland Park for the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland. Find them today and tell them we sent you. What will the Bulls do now is the title of this video. It's the big question that's surrounding what they're doing at the moment. And frankly, I don't know what direction this franchise is going in. 
couple of big news headlines that recently came out that makes me wonder what's going on is the fact that they're engaged in extension talks with Nikola Vucevic. They privately believe Lonzo Ball will never play again. And oh, by the way, this is a team that went 40-42 and and was knocked out of the play-in tournament and really has no direction or no future. So again, I ask, what are they doing right now? And I asked this question specifically to Arturis Karnaschovas, what's the plan? What's supposed to happen here? What's the strategic vision of this team? Because I'll tell you, what I see is nothing. I see more 40 and 42 records. I see more play-in tournament eliminations, even if they get in. Let's say they may not make it all the time. I don't see a championship in the future. I don't even see a deep playoff run in the future. What are we doing here? Arturis Karnaschobis came in in the midst of COVID, hired his own coach, got rid of pretty much everybody on the roster, made big trades, including the trade for Nikola Vucevic, and the team only had one year of legitimate success, and that was it, and that was last year when they went 46-36. and And they still lost in the first round of the Eastern Conference Finals. That should not be the barrier or the maximum criteria you need for success. If I were the owner of this team, I'd say Arturis is on a short leash. And I'd say this team as a whole is on a short leash. I'm watching the NBA Finals. I'm seeing what's been happening in the world of basketball. This Bulls team does not have it. They do not have the gusto to get past the first round of the playoff. They don't have the talent available to get to the NBA Finals. Granted, you could say the Heat don't, right? But the Heat have so many role players, and they still have superstars who are willing to produce. Jimmy Butler, still a superstar. Bulls screwed up by letting him go. Big time. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess. And by the way, Max Struess was a former Bull who grew up right here in Palos Heights, Illinois. And now he's playing a huge role for Miami in the finals. Bulls let him go. That wasn't under Arturis. It was under Garpax, not a surprise, but still. Where is this team going? They don't have a point guard, and they privately believe. I love how it's private. Just say it publicly. Now it's public knowledge. They believe Lonzo Ball will never play again. It's an unfortunate situation. But... They need to cut ties and move forward. They're extending Nikola Vucevic, which I like Vucevic as a player, but my question is, you're going to stick with this core that won you 40 games last year, that forced you to be eliminated from the first round of the play-in tournament? I mean, what are we doing here, guys? What's the goal? What's the vision? Where are they going? Answer's nowhere right now. Billy Donovan's still the head coach. Arturis is still in charge. These players are going to come back for now. And newsflash, this core of Booch and Levine and DeRozan, unfortunately, does not work. As individual players, they are great, and I love all of them. But this core has proven for two years in a row now that they cannot win a championship. They can't even make it past the first round in the playoffs, let alone win a championship. The Bulls have no depth whatsoever. And they've chosen, which just boggles my mind, they've chosen to stick with these players and this core, which has gotten them nowhere.
Why? I don't know. As we've seen in the past, the Bulls love to settle for mediocrity. They love to be a 500 team that never goes anywhere. They love to keep coaches on longer than they should, and they love, as we saw with Carpax, to keep executives around who should not be there. So although I say Arturis Karnaschelvis should be in the hot seat or maybe should even be fired, will it happen? No. And we're back to square one. We're back to the beginning. We're back to where Bulls fans dreaded. A team in the middle, never high, never low, never making any big moves to succeed, but never making drastic moves to rebuild. They're always in the middle. And they're rewarding everybody in the organization for continued mediocrity. Carpax had calls for firing for a decade, literally a decade. Pax was there for 17 years. As a player, he was great. As a human being, he's great. As an executive, not so great. Same with Gar Foreman. It took 17 years for them to go. They hired this savvy, exciting front office member from the Nuggets. Oh, and by the way, don't give me that BS that Arturis built up the Nuggets fully in this team. Arturis didn't even draft Jokic. Arturis was the AGM at the time. Wasn't even the general manager yet. Funny, when he left, the Nuggets are now in the finals, too. Because he eventually became the GM. But when he left, that's when they got better. This team was a difficult watch in 2023. This team had issues in 2023. This team still has issues. And based on the course of events that have so far occurred in the offseason, it looks like those issues are going to persist because I don't see a plan in place to make things better, to make the situation better, to do something to help matters in Chicago. I see the same old, same old. I see negotiating with the same players. I see private sentiment that everyone's known publicly for years now with Lonzo Ball. And I see nobody making any effort to be better. It's the same. Like with Garpax, it's the same. I'd be fine with the same if they were winning. I'd be fine with the same if they won 50 games a year. I'd be fine with the same if they were the Golden State Warriors, but they're not are the Chicago Bulls, and the same is not cutting it. And you know what? Somebody at some point inside that organization has to say something and not sit on the sidelines and watch this team for years continue to be 500 and continue to be mediocre and continue to do the same old, same old. It doesn't work. Arturis should have one year to go. And if this team is not better, if this team is not winning 50 games, goodbye, Arturis Karnaschovas. You did some things right, but at the end of the day, you turned into the same thing. The same thing the Bulls tried to avoid, the same thing that eventually they fired in Garpax. You're going to extend and sign players who just have not done anything to help you win. Booch is a great player. He's helped the Bulls win some regular season games. But again, this core 
has not won the Bulls anything of significance. They've been beaten down in the playoffs the two times they've made it. That's it. I mean, there's nothing else to say. They score's a failure, unfortunately. And maybe everybody, if they all went to their own separate teams, if they latched on with somebody different, it'd be a completely different story. If DeMar DeRozan went to the LA Lakers, they'd probably be in the finals right now. If Zach Levine stayed with the Timberwolves, if he went away and signed somewhere else, fine. If Vooch stayed with the Magic the whole time, I don't know what the alternatives would have been, but I do know this, all of them together has not worked. This team has no depth either. I go back to my initial question. What are they doing? What are they going to do? What's the plan? I don't see a plan. I see the same. I see nothing. I see no strategy. No, hey, how are we going to move forward? How are we going to improve? I see nothing. I see nothing. I see nothing of significance. And it hurts me, and it should hurt you as a Bulls fan. This organization, even for myself growing up, not really watching the MJ years, saw success. Luol Dang, Kirk Heinrich, Ben Gordon, great teams. Later on with Derek Rose and all the role players that surrounded him, great teams. Jimmy Butler for a time there, good team. Not great, but good. Now, nothing. This era for the Bulls of Levine and Vooch and DeRozan has lasted two years, and that's it. I mean, there's been nothing. There was a playoff appearance and a sweep out of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals, and then now a play-in tournament appearance and losing to now the NBA Finals winner from the East, the Heat. And don't give me the fact that the Bulls, hey, lost the best. I don't want to hear it. Let me ask you this. If the Bulls won the playing game, would they have made it to the finals then, Arturis? Don't you love that spin job? I mean, I hear that stuff all the time. Hey, we lost to the best. We, we, we wouldn't have gone any further. Or the alternative, hey, if the Heat did it, we could have done it in the playing tournament. No, you couldn't have. You suck. There's no way you could have done that, what the Heat just did. No way. I love spin jobs. I love public relations and communication because it's so fun calling out their BS. There's absolutely no way the Bulls would have done what the Heat did. And it doesn't make it any better that you lost to the best. You still freaking lost. You still lost in the play-in tournament, too. Not in the first round or second round or Eastern Conference Finals. No, they lost in the play-in tournament, which they probably shouldn't have even been in. Ouch. The plan seems to be wash, rinse, and repeat. And I want to be on the record as saying I don't agree with it. I don't know what's going to come for this team. I don't know what differences are going to be made or what changes will be made, if anything. But I do know these Bulls fans, and if you're listening, listen close. It ain't going to be good. Arturis Karnaschovas is officially on thin ice, whether the Bulls want to admit it or not. He should be if he isn't yet. And this core that everybody loves individually does not work well together. 
question is, will there be change? Will anything be done about it? Unfortunately, the answer is no. And that is what hurts the most. Thanks for watching today's show here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to John Meadows directing and producing and all of you for tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago sports content and also follow us all over Sports Talk Chicago. Head up our sponsor as well, Amish Country Farms for the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland. Tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. So long, everyone.